In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This, oh, wow, that was really high. This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Margaret Barry of Renfrew, Scotland. Margaret will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Lily Flynn. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 5, Episode 9, Control. She came into the squad. She said that she'd been kept in a dungeon by some freak and forced to marry him. She was drunk and I didn't believe her. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello. I'm so thrilled to be back, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Well, not as thrilled as our special guest joining us is our promotions director <laughs> and our recently turned 21 and now tipsy on Margarita's daughter, Lily Flynn. Hello, Lily. Hello. This week's Law & Order Marathon oh, winner is... It. Oh, oh, my bad. My bad. Force a habit. Force a habit. Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> Lily's not because it's kind of last minute we had a scheduling issue with our regular guest and Lily just happened to be here and she watched the episode and we can't say no to her. And also okay? it's her dream come true to be called in last minute to be on this podcast. And also I'm clearly an expert now having seen 12 seasons... No, 15 seasons in a row. <laughs> yeah, you really dug in. And by the way, had, had your life changed at all since you were last on These Other Stories? Did you become famous in any way? or A little bit TikTok famous. You know, still searching for that clout. But, you know, uh, I my life has changed because I'm now a legal drinker. And, you know, we you know, I had my first drink last week. First. Ever. You know, ever. 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 Because we're not the kind of parents who would let you drink before you're 21. Absolutely ever. not. Mm -mm. God, (laughs) I absolutely do not believe that. Lily, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite Law & Order detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. Well, my answer has changed since last time, since I have watched more seasons. My favorite cop team is now Finn and Rollins. I'm really enjoying their dynamic. I also just really enjoy Rollins as a person. Nice. Even though she's got bad hair? 
Unless she has bad hair and makes some bad life choices. Bad I- life choices is what I was thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. And can you tell us who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. My favorite prosecutorial team right now is Barba. So clearly it's just whoever I'm clearly watching the most. So Kevin? So- Sorry, yes. Casey. Can we let Lily pitch her new favorite segment uh, <laughs> idea that we should be telling our guests about? Okay, yeah. What is that? I said to Rebecca, I said, you ask who your favorite detective team is. You ask who your favorite prosecutorial team is. You should ask who your favorite unsung hero is with the choices being Morales, the tech guy, Warden, <laughs> the um, coroner, and uh, B.D. Wan, <laughs> the psychologist, because every now and then they'll give them a plot line and then backtrack it. So I just think, you know, they deserve a little more screen time and who you enjoy the most. What about Skoda? Skoda. All right, let's take a look at the first half of this episode. SVU, Season 5, Episode 9, Control. Well, here's a lesson, grandchild. You see that man coming out of the train station with blood running down the front of his pants? That's why you don't go up the down escalator. (laughs) But wait, this man is a victim of an assault. Someone has sliced off his penis. Hmm. Horace Gorman says that he got off the train, but the only thing he can remember was seeing a homeless man. The man that found you said that you kept saying it's a mistake. What did you mean? I must have been delirious. Well, do you remember hearing or seeing anything when you were attacked? Last thing I felt was something hitting the back of my head. And then darkness. They follow the blood trail to the post-apocalyptic city of the unhoused beneath Grand Central Station. (laughs) They find two things, Gorman's genitals in a paper bag and sloth from the Goonies. (laughs) Sam I.L. says the sack full of sack was given to him by an angel in white, who was probably the woman in the white coat seen on surveillance video. Meanwhile, Gorman checked himself out of the hospital. He's not in his apartment, but Benson and Stabler see he's a hoarder. He also has multiple wedding albums of brides in the same dress and the same dog collar. Olivia recognizes one of them as Hillary Barclay, daughter of a supermodel and drug addict who claimed to have been held in a dungeon, though Olivia did not believe her. Hillary says she remembered hearing chanting above the basement dungeon, which leads them to a synagogue Gorman helped renovate. It was once part of the Underground Railroad, meaning secret passages that lead to a bunker with another chained-up woman. And to quote Fiona Apple, fetch the bolt cutters! (laughs) One of Gorman's brides comes forward saying that uh, they were married in a motel near a heliport. Stabler, Finn, and Munch burst into Gorman's room, only to find Benson standing over his dead bloody body. Wow. Well, Benson and Stapler get called to Grand Central and they start interviewing witnesses. Is there any sign of sexual assault? Men are speaking. Still haven't found a package. What package? Uh, Mr. Gorman's. His penis and testicles were cut off. And they're still missing. And then they find the guy's dick was cut off. <laughs> Which is why they would have called SVU in the first place, right? Right. What did they have asked on the drive down? Why do you think they want us? There's so much sketch timeline stuff with this. They're in Grand Central. Yeah. They find out the guy's dick was cut off, which apparently they didn't know for some reason. They leave to go to some lab to talk to, like, analyst people. Mm-hmm. They go back to the squad to talk more about the case. And then they go back to Grand Central 
where the people are still looking for the dick, like, what, 18 hours later? <laughs> Do you think they're going to be able to reattach it at this point? <laughs> Not at that point. Not at that point. Right. They go back to the squad room. They have their exposition. And then they return to the train station where they follow a perfect set of Blue's Clues footprints, <laughs> bloody footprints, <laughs> to the door to the underworld. Which weren't there before or something? Well, I mean, don't you think that they would have, like, followed those bloody footprints the first time? First time? No, because they went back to the station to make up their nutty theory that he chose to have it uh, cut off. And then they went to go meet with a doctor who just cuts it off, cuts... Uh, Penalectomies? <laughs> yes, on his <laughs> kitchen table. Yes, I castrate men right on this table. I sterilize first. I am a doctor. Can you prove it? State license to practice medicine. You're an allergist. I'm still a doctor. That was a weird side trip. It was a weird side trip because what was the guy? Like a dermatologist or something? He was an allergist who cut off penises. As for fun. For people who, Kevin, have you ever in your life said, you know, I'd be better without balls? No, I can tell you I have never said that. Have you ever said, I'd be better without balls and I'm going to let a doctor who keeps his license in a drawer (laughs) do it for me? He keeps it in the junk drawer in his kitchen along with the batteries. It's it's not in an envelope. It's just folded over. Like every degree you have is framed. (laughs) You think he could get someplace better to do that than the kitchen table that Finn is leaning on? In Riverdale. Riverdale. Which, by the way, is like very much maligned in this episode. The genital child. Shop shop in Riverdale. Apparently, Riverdale is not a place you want to go ever. Getting back to that train station, you know, it wasn't the bottom of his feet that were bloody. Mm. Uh. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, why would you, I, I, anyway? He stepped in a puddle of blood and then walked away. That's what happened with both feet. Both feet. Can yes. we just talk for a second about the grandpa and the granddaughter who like met the guy, the victim? Sure. That was some serious Willy Wonka vibes, was it not? Grandpa, who made the world? That's a tough one, sunshine. Why? Well, because some folks say God made it. And others say there was this big bang and the world just appeared. I don't think so. Who do you think made the world? Bob the Builder. That's his job. We have the old, wizened granddad telling stories from old times, the starving-looking granddaughter and the page boy cap. I got serious Willy Wonka vibes in that scene. I kind of thought you called me because we'll get into it later, but there was a lot of like religious uh, things happening in this episode. And it started off with the little girl saying, how was the world made? And the grandpa's trying to explain it, but obviously gets distracted by this bleeding man. And when he doesn't answer, the little girl goes, oh, okay, Bob the Builder. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. Can he fix it? Yes, Yes, he he can. (laughs) But not the detached dick. Not the detached dick. Well, Benson and Stapler travels to this very elaborate underground homeless encampment between Grand Central. I want to know, where do they get all the driftwood to keep those perfect campfires going? (laughs) And how do you have fires indoors with everyone not dying of smoke inhalation, like, immediately? Yeah, there's no place for the smoke to go. (laughs) Okay, so I have a very, I'm very embarrassed by this observation. Yeah. But they talk about all these people living under Grand Central, and they go to this homeless encampment, which we're supposed to believe is sad or difficult or something and all I could think of was how cozy it was everybody looked very warm <laughs> there was like walls like they had privacy <laughs> you get a slot you get a slot <laughs> 
Do you think like the rest of New York, like you have to wait for someone to pass away to get a better oh, piece of real estate? Yeah, there's a waiting list. <laughs> like a like a rent control department. Yeah, exactly. You're number oh three on the list. Listen, for... I just want to underline again. We are talking about fictional homeless, fictional homeless people. people. Yes, yes, this would in not a be funny. Fictional encampment in fictional New York. This is not our opinions in any way about. We, we would never envy real homeless. Oh, we would also never not be totally empathetic and we would never call their places cozy except on the show. That's how they made it fucking look. Yeah, because they have like this endless fire. It looks like it's a gas fire pit. <laughs> and I don't know, where do you find driftwood in a giant metropolis? Um, there's no there's no windfall of branches. I don't know. You know those little bundles you buy at the convenience store? Well, if they're going out buying wood at the convenience store, why don't they just... Buy a sandwich. Buy a sandwich. I have a theory about our fictional homeless encampment. Okay, what is that? Well, not to spoil anything, but later in the episode, we almost like don't really see the full jury, and I'm like, I wonder if they saved money on fake jury actors and instead put it into the set of this homeless encampment That's set. That's oh, That yeah. was like, whoa, we have all these extra people here instead. Because Dot, our like Oliver Twist-style homeless person, has way too white teeth. She could have totally been, been a, a jury. jury. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Absolutely. You could have found, okay, these 12 homeless people, we're going to clean you up, put you in some and now you're on the jury for the Congratulations. next Congratulations. Congratulations. Made all... two appearances. So they spot Samuel, or Samuel, I guess is his name, and the cop that's with Benson and Stabler goes, It's him. And then they turn the flashlight on him, and he goes, <laughs> Like Frankenstein's monster. He's Nosferatu. That's who he is. Yeah, yes. he's he's powder white and bald. He looks like Valdemort with well, aviator goggles. I thought that too. He also looks like legit, like like every Nosferatu vampire thing you've ever seen. He's extremely goth in a way that I even had to admire. So Lily made an incredible observation when we were watching this part of the episode. All right, you <laughs> want to tell her? I don't her remember. Oh, when right. they're chasing Sam I.L. around and yeah. they're running and they're like, "Police, stop! Police! Police, stop! Police!" Lily said. Does that ever work? (laughs) (laughs) It does not. It does not ever work. Oh, the police. I better. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, it works every time on Law & Order. Wong takes one look at him, and of course, he knows the weird condition. Of course. I think he has a genetic disorder called porphyria. That accounts for his light sensitivity and his abdominal pains. And the delusions? Porphyria could be causing that, too. Because he's my unsung hero. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's your unsung hero. He's an encyclopedia (laughs) of nonsense. All right, let's take a look at our cast. It's our very special guest star, Ms. Jacqueline Bissett. Yeah. She looks good. Yeah, she's playing Juliet Barclay, the supermodel. She's brought me nothing but grief. She's a junkie. When she wasn't in and out of rehab or psych wards, she was stealing from my store. Wrecking my marriages, telling outrageous lies. You know her from Bullet with Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. Murder on the Orient Express under the volcano, and she was in the spoof version of James Bond's Casino Royale as Miss Goodthighs. Yes. Uh, she appeared in the deep sea movie The Deep with Nick Nolte, and it was famous because she went scuba diving in a white t-shirt <laughs> and it spawned the wet t-shirt craze of the 70s. It's just hot. And I can see I'm the only one that actually cares about that fact. But. <laughs> you know how I know her? Like, also? How? Uh, Sam from Cheers was in love with Jacqueline Bissett and talked about her all the time on the show. <laughs> Jacqueline Bissett, or Jacqueline Bissett, depending on how you choose to pronounce it, is a sex symbol, like, 
icon from the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. She totally is. And she's super hot. She holds up super well in this episode, does she not, Lily? Yes. No, I was like, I was, she, I think her second scene, I was like, I love the fact that she's randomly British and I know they're not going to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jacqueline Bissett, or Bissett, however you want to say it. Exactly. I'll say Bissett. Uh, she played the Virgin Mary in the 1999 miniseries Jesus. Do you know who played Jesus? Um, wait, 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 wait. Who was it? That would be one Jeremy Sisto. Oh, my God. The Lupo Savior. Oh, my God. He played Jesus in Jesus? He was. He <laughs> was mean, Jesus. Sure, why not? He was one of those in which, you know, everybody spoke in clipped British accents except him. Yes. Yeah, he also did a lot of, you know, looking down mm. like Lupo would do. It was nominated for an Emmy Award for Best Makeup. <laughs> that says a lot right there. Well, if you saw Jeremy Sisto's Jesus beard, you would know why they lost. Oh. We have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Who is playing Horace Gorman, the uh, deflowered sexual captor weirdo guy? I crawled toward the light and somebody uh, died. <laughs> Oh, I'm not a man anymore. Listen, I know I know the guy. He's a classic hates that guy. Do not know his name because I wanted you to tell me. All right, that's Austin Pendleton. Two Law & Order Universe appearances. He was in many classic movies like Catch-22, My Cousin Vinny. He was in the original Muppet movie. Hmm. <laughs> he also played across Jacqueline Bissett in The Thief Who Came to Dinner. He's like typecast as old guy number one, right? Like that's his thing. Yeah, he played the stuttering attorney in My Cousin Vinny. Yep, yep. And he actually thinks he actually had a stutter as a kid. Hmm. And the fact is, he didn't get rid of his stutter until 20 years in his act, into his acting career. Good for him. On the wow. stage. I think that takes a lot of guts. I think it's, I think it's very brave to like feel like I'm going to go on stage tonight and I'm not worried about yeah. whether I'm going to stutter. Yeah. Listen, I had a stutter as a kid too, so it's hard. Really? I did not know that. I did. Real bad. Real I had bad. a lisp as a kid. Maybe you weren't there, but... Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember paying for all the speech there. I literally had to remind people. I was like, you know she's a lisp, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have a repeat offender. Re repeat offender. Uh, playing attorney Lionel Granger is David <gasps> Thornton. This is the clearest patent violation I've ever seen. A.K.A. Discount Baldwin. No, A.K.A. Mr. Cindy Lopper. <gasps> oh, you're kidding? Yeah, we talked about him in season 11's Quickie. He's legit a discount Baldwin, is he not? He is, he is. <laughs> Can you tell me who's playing that grandfather that uh, found the, uh, the the victim? Willy Wonka's grandfather? Yeah. I don't know. First, he's jabbering nonsense. Then his belly was bleeding like a stuck pig. That's Mickey Hargitay. <gasps> no. Yes, that Are is Mariska Hargitay's father. Yes. That's so funny. Was he like German or something? I believe he's Greek. Oh my goodness! Or no, I, I'm I'm wrong. It's it, he is Eastern European. I can't remember if it's Greek, but obviously Very all the Mariska fans will correct me. Uh, in the 1960s, he played Hercules in the Loves of Hercules wow. opposite Jane Mansfield. Hot. Died in 2006. Jane Mansfield, aka Mariska's mom. Exactly. Mm. Is that how they met? Well, actually, they met. Uh, he was a bodybuilder, and he was performing in May West. Old man. <laughs> New York Review it was like a live show with. Sexy star from the 1930s, Mae West. Uh, and uh, Mansfield came in and she said, I'll have the steak and the man on the left. Good for her. Yeah. Got it, girl. 
So Lily, remember that's a winning self-independent line. woman. She would have liked to ask uh, for what you want. I think she would have liked a little Maloney on the side of that. She would have. She he's would pretty have. beefy. When she asked him to be on the episode, she was like, "It's going to be an episode. You're going to find a man who doesn't have his penis anymore." <laughs> Dad, I know it's weird. Dad, 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 don't make eye contact with me, but <laughs> Dad, I have to take your statement. <laughs> Dad, Dad, tell me my hair looks good, even though it's just growing back from that time I cut it super short. Dad. <laughs> Let's talk about her. Hey, it's that girl. Hey, it's that girl. Do you know who's playing Dot, the homeless woman with incredible teeth? teeth. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. He came running into the tunnel. His his hands were all bloody. He said he got an offering. Her name's Abigail Savage. Most people will recognize her as Gina on Orange is the New Black. Really? Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh you know what? Now that you say it, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, sort of the mousy looking. Yeah, uh, she had good yeah. teeth on that show, too. Well, they're actually her teeth. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Just very white. Uh, she's actually a very accomplished sound mixer and designer. Good for that her. That is her entree into the uh, world of entertainment. I hope she has a podcast. I'm sure Wondery is signing her up right now. Yeah. In the role of Hillary Barclay. He called it his party place. It was a hellhole. I thought I'd die there. I would have killed the son of a bitch. But he kept a combination lock on the door, so I never would have gotten out. Yes. Can you name that actress? Of course I can. It's my 90s idol, Samantha Mathis, from Pump It Up and a bunch of other 90s movies and TV shows. I love Samantha Mathis. I love her. Yeah, that would be Pump Up the Volume. Yes, I'm sorry. American Psycho, Broken Arrow, three Law & Order appearances. Um, she's currently playing Sarah on Showtime's Billions. I love her. She's a very recognizable face. Love her. She has a place in Hollywood infamy, which was made when she was River Phoenix's date to the Viper Room. Yes. The night oh. that he died. Yes. Do you know something else? What? She's the vice president of SAG-AFTRA. And you know who the president of SAG-AFTRA is? No. Gabrielle Carter is from Beverly Hills 90210. Those two women, a power 90s team right there. <laughs> wow. Gabrielle Carter and Samantha Mathis. Love her. Your comment was better than my comment. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she has starred in films with Christian Slater mm-hmm. and Christian Bale, making her more Christian than Jeremy Sisto. Uh. So we see Benson and Stabler try to track down Gorman after he checks himself out of the hospital. So they go to his apartment. Mr. Gorman. Mr. Gorman, it's the police. And so, again, they have a doorman there who's Very overdressed. Like, yeah, he looks like Phantom of the Opera or some <laughs> fucking bullshit. And so they go in, and the first thing that they see is that he has all these newspapers. He's a hoarder. Mm. I said, I said, oh, that's the, most, that's the most shocking thing they could find. Yeah, it is. It is. It's More just, shocking than his penis. Yep. <laughs> okay, so if you're a hoarder yeah. and you have 18 towers of newspapers, first of all, the doorman looked surprised. Like, the doorman has never been asked to, like, watch <laughs> the apartment. The okay. Exactly, right? He looks surprised. That old man carries all his own groceries into his apartment, never asks mm. for help. Exactly. And there's this dropped storyline where he invented the games under the Coke uh, yes. bottles. Yes, I was like, is that a real, is that someone real? And you know how he made his fortune? He invented the games you find underneath bottle caps. I never win at that. They're rigged. It's a scam to sell soda. Wouldn't you think that there'd be a lot of, like, soda bottles in there? No, just newspapers for just some reason. Newspaper, and there was, like, four boxes of wheat flakes. Yes. And I was like, they took the time to fake design wheat flakes yes. for this episode. Yes. 
a fake cereal. But it's like it's intense. How do they find those albums? Like it's so quickly. I mean, are they on top of the newspaper piles? I mean, you think he was be- he was basically like hoarding brides too, right? That's what we're supposed to think. Yes, yes, he's yes. A Elliot, make, yeah, Elliot makes the comments is he's a collector. He collects brides until he gets bored with them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can't believe he's not bored with those fifty year old newspapers. So when Benson says that Hillary Barclay is the daughter of Juliet Barclay... Her mother is Juliet Barclay. Cragen goes, the supermodel? The supermodel? <laughs> Come on, Donald. <laughs> we all know he likes a little. <laughs> it's like, I had her poster. <laughs> wow, right next to my Farrah Fawcett. Hey, I just want to point out some low-key anti-Semitism. Yeah, oh, high-key. It was not low-key. It was... Hi, Key. And I'm so glad that's in your notes as well. Hillary says that the dungeon she was kept in... I heard singing, chanting, in a strange language, like some kind of satanic cult. But where she actually was, it was next to a synagogue? So there's a part of America that says, I know just what she means. Yeah, it was just a canter in Hebrew. It was not satanic chanting. That was, yikes. That was a bad either. That was a bad like point of reference. Oh, we must be in the right place. They speak another language. You're like, yikes. Sorry, it's Myth and Mathis. It's not your fault. It's the writer's room's fault. That's right. Uh, so they do learn that the, son- the synagogue that Gorman helped renovate had been a church on the Underground Railroad. Mm. Now, the historical so- society will not let you paint a wall. Mm. Alone, knock down a wall on the Underground Railroad. Oh, my God. My favorite part of this whole episode is when they find the one part of the wall that's clearly new. You know, yeah. there's like all the old cobbles and then like the new brick that's really put there. The cops are banging it with hammers. They make a giant hole and then they say, We're through. We're through. through. And You're I'm like, like Yes. Literally. I can see. We can see there's that. There's no wall. <laughs> Thank you for letting us know that you've actually knocked on the wall that we just watched you walk down. Yeah, but they brought like sledgehammers down to this underground railroad passageway. Yes, it should be a museum. Well, I mean, can you bring a reciprocating saw to Auschwitz or something like nope, that? No, you cannot do can that. Can you bring, you know, like your own can of paint to Ellis Island? You nope. Know, they'd freak out. Oh, come on, we're just going to bang this wall down. And by the way, why why does he have to brick up his entrance to the sex dungeon? Did he, like, leave it and go, okay, well, now I'm going to put a little brick? And here's just, why. What? Because the outside of the tunnel is really just a the basement, basement door. And they were like, oh, here's the exit. And it was like... A street in New York. I was like, that's also probably his entrance. <laughs> the exit is literally the place where the like deliveries are made to a restaurant. It's just a basement door. I do not think the Law and Order SVU writers in this episode really thought through what the exit of a secret tunnel under an underground railroad synagogue would look like because... An underground railroad synagogue. <laughs> Ostensibly, if you were a slave escaping through the underground railroad, you would not go into that building hide... And then come out of a door right fucking next to that building. That is not how that shit works, right? Am I alone? No. No. (laughs) Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. In a fast-paced world... 
Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Stabler is unsure whether to believe Benson's story, that she followed up on a tip from Hillary and found Gorman already dead. Are you protecting her? You think that I'm covering for Hillary? Where'd you drop her off? At her mother's. They're estranged, remember? Hillary wanted to talk to her. When'd you leave her there? A couple of hours ago, and I don't need you interrogating me. Why didn't you come back to the squad? Because I had a hunch. I checked out five hotels, and this one was number six. Without backup! The detectives show a photo to Samael, you know, the guy with the really bad eyes. <laughs> and he identifies the dick-in-the-bag giver as Hillary. As uh, Elliot and Olivia go to arrest Hillary, mother Juliet Barclay confesses to castrating and later killing Gorman. On some bullshit technicality, the judge throws out Juliet's confession and weakens Novak's case. Meantime, defense attorney, Mr. Girls Just Want to Have Fun, accuses (laughs) Olivia of killing Gorman. Why? Because you failed to believe Hillary's story, but I'm not a killer, and that's why people were kidnapped, and you want to correct your mistake and objection and withdraw. Yes. Always with the last-minute evidence, SVU learns that the gold flex and the stab wound means that the murder weapon was a knife, from 9th century Syria. Hmm. And that's why people think there are microchips in COVID vaccines. <laughs> yes, that is why they think that. Novak confronts Hillary on cross-examination that the knife came from her mother's antique store. But when it looks like her goose is cooked, Hillary stands up to confess to the crimes herself. Well, the bullshit result is that the charges against Juliet are dismissed. Benson checks out Hillary's story and finds that she was buying coffee at the time of Gorman's murder. She admits that she castrated Gorman, but knows that her mother was his killer. Hmm. They can't charge Juliet because of double jeopardy. Now, Stabler says the most hypocritical thing to Benson. You're out of control. You're out of control. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, Elliot, you would know. I mean, that's something when when Stabler tells you you're out of control. Yeah, I mean. That's like Munch telling you you're paranoid. All I can think of is the fact that they brought up in the court that Olivia had shot two people. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, here we are in 2021 blaming Elliot for shooting six people. And I'm like trying to count how many other people did Olivia shoot? She shot a lot of fucking people. Yeah, too. She, she had three fatal shootings to non-fatal shootings over you. the past 22 years. Look at you, SVU wow. Wiki. I'm so proud of you. I, 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 was gonna, I was gonna point out, it seems like a, it's supposed to be this big thing. Like, this is the first mistake Olivia's made. And like, she makes them throughout the show, but oh, it's yeah. always like a big deal. Like, oh, someone either got away or, oh, she didn't. I'm like, is I, it really that shocking that someone had a little bit of bias in the nope. <laughs> yeah, the squad I, room? I'll tell you, I, I think that we have, I could be wrong, of course, we have six fatal shootings attributed to Stabler. There might be uh, a, a non-fatal shooting. There was also, ugh, so he, was, he pinned somebody down yeah. and sat on their neck, Yes, put that a knee on their neck, and, and the guy died. died. Yes. So that that didn't age well. Nope. nope. I think Finn has two uh, has four fatal shootings, and there are nobody from original Law and Order has any shootings. Yeah, which is realistic because you talk to any cop in working in any place, city, non-city, rural, 
most of them will say they've never actually unholstered their gun while on the job. Meanwhile, Elliot uses his gun to move the curtain out of the way in the homeless shelter. He's like, oh, just holding it here. I'm like, what are you doing? So the other kidnapped and released brides have come forward, and they're all in the squad. And Finn is interviewing an Asian woman who does not speak English. Correct. But the deal is he had a pad and a pen in his hand, so he was taking notes on something. Yes. I don't... I don't. What wanna... was that? There was, like... there was a grandma behind her, but I was like, why would the older... I don't know. I, I don't know. I felt like we got to like, look at Finn in this episode that we've never seen before, one in which his parents took him to an unknown... Uh, underground railroad site as a child and would like take him around New York landmarks in that way who also spoke many other languages and could take notes even though we've never actually seen him understand See, I don't before. think he was speaking Chinese. You, did you, do you think he was no. just taking notes? Well, I do want to point out and I don't want to profile but Huang was at the next desk oh, over okay. talking to a black girl. Mm. One would think they would look at each other and say this might work better, Wong, if you interview her. Maybe. So the whole thing is like Finn, he understands uh, gang iconography. He knows what every Adisha on every pill means. And apparently mm. he understands every language and could just take notes in that language. It's pretty fucking impressive. He's a babblefish. <laughs> so when she learns that these women had all been kidnapped after she turned away Hillary, Benson wants to quit and gets a pep talk from Cragen. Mm. None of this would have happened if I would have just believed Hillary can't control what other people do there will always be perps and victims you think you need to tell me that the only reason i'm standing here is because my mother let herself get raped let herself since when do you blame the victim my mother was drunk and so was hillary and that's why i didn't believe her now these women are paying for it okay quit throw away the good you've done and the good you'll do over one mistake her pep talk from craigan was like better than her pep talk from elliot who elliot said when she was upset in the hotel room elliot said Get over it. And then when she talked to Cragen and she was upset, Cragen said, okay, quit. That's right. <laughs> Which is how men it, handle every situation. It doesn't seem really sympathetic. <laughs> I love how Cragen is like, you know, you can't quit this job and all the future good you're going to do because you made one mistake, says the guy who would later wake up in bed with a dead hooker. Just going to say Well, he didn't quit after that either. He so. did not. Which says a lot. In the evening, they go to arrest Hillary. But instead, Juliet confesses, so they arrest her. And then they handcuff her in her nightgown, and Jacqueline Bissett, like in the deep, is clearly not wearing a bra. <laughs> and it is cold on the set. Well, good for her. Well, they pushed her out of her apartment to arrest her, so that's awkward. If she was like, I gotta go back in for a bra, and then never came out again, she might have gotten away with it. Forget the bra. Do you think she was wearing shoes when they took her away? Nope. Mm-mm. I mean, she was lounging on the sofa after just getting up out of bed. You think she was wearing Crocs and was... Nope. They don't care. These guys are cold as ice. I think I would yell. I'd be like, I will give up my phone call if I can put on some shoes. I don't want to be barefoot in your dirty prison. Give me my Allbirds, motherfucker. Give them to me. Yeah, how about a bra? <laughs> you want to hear a fun fact that I learned? Yeah, I actually sure. learned that women could not have bras in prisons till the either mid-80s or early 90s because the wire inside was considered a weapon. Jesus oh. fucking Christ. Jesus. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that means they could wear a sports bra. I was told bras to, were taken away upon first inspection. And to this day, they still have to buy fucking sanitary products at the commissary. Mm. It's horrible. All right. Horrible. The patriarchy. Yeah. 
Everything is a patriarchy, Kevin. I hate to break it to you. I'm just telling the men listening that I'm not trying to make any sudden movements. (laughs) This is a very small studio. (laughs) Can we just talk about how full Jack McCoy, Casey Novak, went in this trial? Oh, yes. (laughs) This woman took the law into her own hands and executed Horace Gorman. Now, some of you may be thinking, hey, good for her. You do the same to anyone who hurt your child. We all understand the impulse to take revenge, but that doesn't mean we should do it. Her tone, her outfit, her... She was like, you must do this. You must think this. I loved the Novak we saw in this episode. To me, it was like the Novak I've always dreamed of Novak being. It was like peak Novak come Jack McCoy in a really good way. Yeah, I was like trying to do the math. I was like, this must be early, early Novak because it was only season five and Alex was on it for a couple seasons. So I was like, and she didn't come till season two. So I was like, yeah, it's early Novak. She's still like fresh face lawyer. No one's crushed her dreams yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was definitely taking her uh, vitamin McSee pills. The other thing was, Elevie was very upset that Novak didn't ask her if she did it when the lawyer pointed a finger, and Elliot was like, well, she can't. And Elevie was like, you didn't ask me either. And Elliot very calmly says, I know you didn't. You'd have shot the bastard. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Very, Calm down. Very fucking comforting. If she'd done it, she would have just planted a gun in a fake dick. That's right. And walked up. <laughs> So the antique stores that I know sell shaker furniture and vintage Coca-Cola signs, mm-hmm. not 9th century Syrian Gulflek knives. And random pottery that looks like it was just made at like West Elm. I was like, oh, that's on our shelf. <laughs> I used x-ray fluorescence analysis based on the refraction index of the particles. The gold's 99% pure. And the other 1%? Rhodium only present as a trace element in gold mined in Syria dating back hundreds of years. But I mean, a 9th century Syrian sacrificial knife, that is not an antique store. That is a museum. Yeah, but I have also a question. Yeah. So Finn finds that shit under the sink in the store. Mm -hmm. If you murder somebody with a knife and you have the wherewithal to hide it under a sink, are you bringing that fucking knife back to your job, period? Or are you just throwing in a goddamn dumpster after you commit the murder? Well, it was a priceless knife. Yeah, but... It's probably she, worth a billion dollars. It says to me it's worth it to her to save it. It's valuable enough to save it, but not valuable valuable enough to not use for murder. And it's also, like, not smart enough to just go buy a knife at the freaking kitchen shop on the way to commit the murder? Yeah, why is this priceless knife your first choice murder weapon? Do you think she had to handle it with white gloves like a docent would? Clearly, like, he didn't come into her store and she murdered him there, in which case it would make a tremendous amount of sense. Yeah, Yeah. way more sense. Because she just grabbed whatever's available and stabbed him with it. She chose, because we saw her whole store is full of weird glass cases with, like, objet d'art in them. Yeah. She chose to open one of those weird glass cases, take out the priceless 9th century Syrian knife, take it to some hoarder's apartment slash hotel room situation, stab him, and then come back and put it under the sink in the bathroom. Here's the thing. If she didn't do that, we wouldn't see the absolute joy in the guy who analyzes knives, which I was like, why is he so excited? The biggest nerd in the history of SVU. It's 99% gold. <laughs> I don't understand. He was so excited. His nipples were harder than Jacqueline, Jacqueline yeah, 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 yeah. He was so excited. His nerd quotient was off the chain. I loved it. It's like, where's... Someone's dead. I'm a little... Well, try to act a little. Have bad. some goddamn respect. Yeah. But then we find out that Hillary 
actually was the one who castrated yeah, she was. Uh, Gorman after you know following him off the train. Yeah, I gotta say though, it must have been impossible to keep that white white coat from getting all that blood on. I thought that was going to be a later clue. The other thing that was interesting was we saw the surveillance tape. You'll get rid of the coat, but yes. not the fucking knife. One of my favorite things about the whole episode was we, uh, you know, we talked about the timing thing with going to the squad room, whatever, and finally making it back to the station. What, like four days later, they're like, transit has come through with the surveillance tape. And I'm like, don't they just have it like right then when you're actually at the train station? But they show the surveillance tape. And when you watch it, there are a lot of people on that platform, right? It is Grand Central Station. She describes the crime later as, I followed him off the train. I confronted him. He laughed at me. By the way, that was not a detail. It was on the tape. Uh, not true. So I followed him, and I pushed him to the ground and decided to slice it off. I'm like, dude, I saw the tape. There were like 150 fucking people there. No one cared. No one cared. What is going on in New York in whatever year this was, 2004, that like someone could slice off someone's dick, and like you just keep going up the escalator? It's nuts. No, it's nuts and balls. Oh. <laughs> and dicks. Sorry. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode takes cues from the real-life story of John Jamelski. In 1988, the Syracuse area handyman first kidnapped a 14-year-old girl and held her captive in a concrete bunker he had built on his property. The girl said he had raped her every day for three years in his underground dungeon. Jamelski let her go and convinced her not to call the police, otherwise he would kill her family. Around 1995, Jamelski lured another 14-year-old into the dungeon. He kept her for more than a year before releasing her outside her mother's apartment. Again, he ensured her silence with threats. A year later, he abducted a 53-year-old Vietnamese refugee who spoke little English. When he freed her 10 months later, she went to the police, but the investigation went nowhere. In 2001, he picked up a woman high on LSD and imprisoned her for two and a half months. She begged to write a letter to her family, and Jamelski agreed so long as she said she was in drug rehab. Upon her release, she went to the cops, but they didn't believe her because of her rehab letter. His final victim was a 16-year-old runaway he captured in 2002. After six months, he began bringing the girl on outings. While at a bottle recycling center, Jamelski agreed to let the teen telephone her church. Instead, she called her sister who contacted authorities. John Jamelski pleaded guilty to five counts of kidnapping. He's serving an 18-years-to-life sentence at the Clinton Correctional Facility in New York. How do you start that sentence with 18 years? That's a real question. How do you just start that sentence with life? Well, I mean, he's, I think he's in his 70s, so it's essentially a life sentence either way. Did he, real question, 
make all of these women dress in the same dress and also wear a dog collar, which to me kind that of That was ruins, my question. Kind of ruins the look of the dress for me. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, there were a lot of these details that wound up in this episode that yeah. did come from the real life story here. For the first 11 years of his crimes, his wife, Dorothy, was upstairs. Shut <gasps> the fuck up. Bed, she was bedridden from an illness. Dorothy. Oh, no. Poor Dorothy. So that's why he didn't fake marry them, because he had a wife. Yeah. Oh, my fucking that God. That was like kind of the creepiest part of the episode. He was, he was like, because that that's why he did it, right? He was like, no, we're con- we're, you're going to dress up, be my fake wife, and then you're consummating this marriage. Which like, it was very, very dark, like thing to happen yeah. to multiple multiple women like and he was like i'm gonna rape you now mm-hmm. which she was already doing before what do you think she, she was going like what are you doing down there john i'm just working on stuff i'm getting married i'm getting married <laughs> i i can't go to the bathroom for more than 15 minutes without you asking where oh i am my god how no. can you keep somebody downstairs Kevin, for years i'm sorry no one should go to the bathroom for more than 15 <laughs> minutes. I mean, to be fair, 15 minutes is a very long time. It's very tranquil. <laughs> tranquil for me. So like Olivia Benson, the police were criticized for their mistakes and the, their chances to solve the case earlier. The victim who wrote that rehab letter told police that her captor drove a 1974 tan Mercury Comet. Very specific. Yeah, they did a check throughout New York, and they only found one tan comet from 1974. The owner did not fit the description, so they closed the investigation. Jesus Christ. Jamelski drove a 1975 tan Mercury comet. Right to the heart. Oh, my fucking God. I can't even tell if a car is a Toyota or a Honda. Quick question. The worst. Like the episode when somebody came in four years later, did the cop immediately say, I recognize this person (gasps) from four years ago? Well, no, I'm mean, apparently on Dateline, when they interviewed some of the cops or whoever the spokesman was, they said, well, we had a lot of other missing persons cases oh, at the time. Oh, they really could have just said, yeah, we could have done more. What town was this? This it was, was in, outside of Syracuse. This is, uh, this is Toby's fault. <laughs> so in 2003, Jamelski was feeling confident about his final abductee. So, so would I. Well, they said he started taking her outside of the bunker. Yeah. And the first place they went to was... A karaoke bar. Oh, my fucking what? God. What? What was their duet? I don't know. What song would you pick? Uh, Love Shack. Love Shack. Fucking Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Love Shack. Which, by the way, is our you karaoke song. you see faded sign at the side of the road, <laughs> says 15 miles to the... Love Shack! <laughs> <laughs> so this past December, Jamelski was denied parole... He said that his sex bunker was just a party room. That oh, he, my fucking He God. used to help runaway girls get off the street. Oh, That's what happened in the episode. Creepy. He called it a party room in the episode, too. Right. So apparently that was part of his defense back then, too, because they had that detail in 2004. Well, he said that they liked staying there, and he even after let them go, that he would visit them Ugh. just to catch up. No. That's so crazy. He also said that most of the time, the door to the bunker wasn't even locked, uh, to which his victim said, the fuck? <laughs> How did I not know? Oh, my God. That's going to do it for us. We want to thank our very special guest, Lily Flynn. Lily, where can our listeners follow you online? 
You can follow me at Flanagan Lily on Twitter or Lily C. Flynn on Instagram. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? For lots of pictures of dogs, the boots I bought on eBay, etc., you can follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoy. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. (laughs) To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio where three of us can barely fit. Yeah. And is a production of Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.